This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hockey Central here on Sports at 960. I'm Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour, along with my pal Logan Gordon. He's the host of Sportsnet Today. He produces Ride Shotgun, does all of the things here on Hockey Central. Logan, it is my favorite time of year because for the hours leading into this show, I sat on my couch and I watched college hoops and I had a great time. Did your bracket get busted already by Virginia losing or no? <laughs> I actually forgot to fill out my bracket. I've been sick for oh. the last like week, um, and filling out a bracket just wasn't a thing that crossed my mind while I was lying down. Um, but I did have a lot of fun today. I was seeing everyone talking about their brackets get busted. I was like, can't relate. Your bracket can't get busted if you forgot to fill it out. No, exactly. If your bracket if your bracket never existed, then <laughs> hard to lose, and you're perfect right now. So I didn't make a mistake because I just didn't pick. Exactly. Um, but I, but I was watching that game. I finished uh, watching the Maryland game, and then I turned on Furman Virginia, uh, <laughs> and. I didn't go into that game with any expectations. I just thought, wow, this is a really close game. And then the Virginia player just chucks the ball. He just tr- I don't know if you got to see any of it, Logo, but like the Virginia player gets the ball in his, like the inbound to him, and he's like, okay, I'm just going to throw the ball in the air until it goes out on the other side of the court <laughs> so we can run the clock get a timeout, and then just win this game. But he doesn't throw it far or high enough. (laughs) And the Furman player steals the ball, passes it to a guy who bangs the three, and they take a lead with two seconds left. Furman upsets number four, Virginia. It was incredible. I was like, what is this guy doing? Just dribble the ball, like, draw the foul, do your, like, why? And if you're going to throw it out, throw it out properly. It was probably... Like, it's the big, big upsets, the first big upset of March Madness. I mean, the tournament just started, but it's a pretty big one. And the way that it happened was just wild. I'm watching the clip again right now. <laughs> Those are the he moments was getting double teamed so on the baseline and just, like, panicked, tried to throw it, and ended up getting a huge secondary assist on the game-winning basket. Oh, those are the ones we'll remember at the end of the tournament and look back. And the best thing is it's just day one. There's so many more of these still to come. I love March Madness so much. And you know what else we love? I mean, I'm sure you love this. I don't think the text line loves this. But I I was listening to SportsCenter today before the show started. Uh, Jordan Binnington's, uh, this just in, Jordan Binnington suspended for two games. Uh, He had a hearing with the Department of Player Safety today. Uh, for roughing and unsportsmanlike conduct on Ryan Hartman. Uh, so this just came in while we were at break between Sportsnet Today and Hockey Central. Jordan Binnington suspended for two games. I don't really want to get into the Binnington discourse because sometimes I feel like it can be too much. Like he's, he's, he is what he is. What I want to get into. <laughs> this show is why the hell why the heck pardon me did the (laughs) did the linesman stop the goalie fight 
yeah, this is one I don't understand either. Why? Give the people what they want. I'm, I, I've never understood, and I've said, I think I tweeted this out before. I've never understood linesmen getting not only in goalie fights, Haley, but just in general for fights when two guys clearly want to go at it. Why are you getting in the way? There's nothing that says you, you can't let them fight. Yeah. They're both going to get a five minute penalty. We'll go from there. But what are you doing? Especially, especially yeah. Jordan Bennington and Mark Andre Fleury. The building is going nuts. <laughs> Fleury is all the way down the ice already. It's not like he's he wants some of it. He's literally ready to punch him in the face, and the linesman's like, "No, no, no." Please, I'm going to play this for you. I didn't tell you about this, but the Minnesota Wild just tweeted out in the last couple minutes. Uh, Flurry was mic'd up last night, <laughs> and they've given us about 40 seconds of him skating down the ice and trying to get in this fight. Stop. Do we Jordan have the Vinton. clip? Can we play it, it right, right now? now for you? Oh yes. You ready for it? Yeah. Here's Mark Andre Flurry trying to. And pleading with the referees to fight Jordan Bennington last night in St. Louis. Hey, hey, let's go, let's go, let's go. Saying it'd be fun, it'd be fun, it'd be fun. It'd be fun. The crowd will love it. I love him saying, "I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll be good." Okay. Yeah, just a light punch, just a little scrap. That was incredible. Thank you for finding and playing that clip. I didn't see that the Wild posted that uh, while I was going through the prep. So the game was pretty wild. No, uh, no pun intended, because. The lead up to this started a little bit earlier, right? So the Minnesota Wild, they score three straight to make it 4-3 in the second period. Bennington starts chirping at the bench after he lets in those three straight. And then maybe seven minutes, six minutes later, Ryan Hartman scores. All of a sudden it goes from 4-3 to 5-4 in the second. Then Jordan Bennington gets mad, jumps into the Wild celebration, hits, uh, I think he hit... Ryan Hartman with the blocker and a stick. Chaos ensues. And then, yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury gets involved. And, yeah, I just I don't love that the linesman broke it up. I don't think it's necessary. Not when there's two guys that are that <laughs> clearly wanting to go. I, I understand, like, even a couple of years. I know Oilers fans will disagree with this one. But when Cassian was ragdolling Kachuk and Kachuk really wasn't going to drop the gloves, I can understand the linesman getting involved in that one. You don't have two willing participants. You've got two guys that very clearly want to fight each other. Why yeah. not? I, I've just Let never heard a good excuse for that. And the crowd was going ballistic. If they would have actually fought, it would have been an unbelievable moment for the season. Yeah. Unless there's something about like from a league mandate, you know, we need to deescalate these situations or we don't want this kind of stuff happening um, you know, some kind of direction about concussions, brain injury. And actually, we did just get a text like that. Is there a reason why linesmen are holding up fights? It's on direction from the NHL because of concussion and health issues surrounding concussions and potential future lawsuits and liability issues for the NHL. Don't you think? That's uh, from Noah from Cranston. Noah Cranston. 
Cranston is an area, so I'm going to assume that's from okay. Noah in Cranston, but <laughs> maybe his last name is is Cranston. Either or. Thanks for that, Noah. Um, yeah, I think that like that could be part of it, right? Is just saying, you know, we've had too many conversations about concussions, um, et cetera. So it's fair. It's a good point to make. That could be why the refs are doing that, why the linesmen are doing that. Um, but they don't do it all the time. Like they don't break up every fight all the time. But if it's two goalies, they're almost always going to stop that from happening. So I want to know why they don't want goalies to go at it because it's kind of fun. It's great. It's still so everyone's just... safe. That's why Fleur was like, I'll be good. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah, we won't, won't go too crazy. Just, little, just, just a little punch. Just a little bit. It'll be fun. Everyone then, will love it. And then we get the um, the extra bit. Goligoski scores to make it six to four. And then he does the like mocking celebration of Jordan Bennington. And I think my favorite part of that whole thing, and I think this is where Goligoski got the mocking from, was like, when Bennington gets kicked out of the game, he's already gotten a five spot put on him, and then he's like pumping up the crowd, like "Come on, come on!" It's like, uh. it's so hard. Like I know we want guys to have personality, and Bennington does inject something different. And at the end of the day, that game was really entertaining. Like I think he knows what he's doing. Like sure, there's a lot of people who don't like Jordan Bennington, and there's a reason for that. Like, he doesn't seem like a great, fun guy. Um, but that was fun. I made a joke on Twitter. I was like, this is cinema. This is art. And it was fun. <laughs> and he did that by being who he is. And so part of me, I was like, I love this. It was fun to watch. It's like a random Wednesday night game between the Wild and the Blues. The Blues are not a good team. And somehow <laughs> it ended up being the game everyone's talking about. So, yeah, we can hate Jordan Bennington all we want. But that game was fun. And it was because of his antics. So in that sense, I can appreciate it a little bit because we have something to talk about on a Thursday morning. That's not, you know, how the Flames can't score goals and lost the Arizona Coyotes the other night. Yeah, thankfully, we're not talking about that anymore. We'll talk about it tomorrow, <laughs> no. but we'll, we'll worry about that for tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so this is a Flames game day, so we'll transition to that. And I should say we have Ben Gotts. Uh, he covers the Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Review Journal. He's going to be joining us momentarily. It is a Flames game day in Vegas. Puck drop at 8 p.m. Pre-game goes at 7 here on Sports at 960. Jonathan Quick was the first goalie off for Vegas. He's been perfect so far in Vegas since being acquired from Columbus slash LA 4-0 start and a 9.30 save percentage uh, logo. I think Jacob Markstrom's expected to start. I didn't see a ton of notes from any skate in Vegas, um, but I do believe it's Markstrom expected to start for the Flames, yeah? Yep, that's the uh, expectation for tonight. Okay, uh, Flames coming off an OT loss to Arizona, as we just mentioned. Uh, meanwhile, Vegas has won four straight and has the best record in the league since the All-Star break. So with that, we're going to go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and talk to our first guest. It's Ben Goats. Excuse me, I think I mispronounced your name, Ben, on first, re- first reference. Uh, so sorry about that, but welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, thanks so much for having me. Don't worry, happens literally all the time. Well, I hate that. I've, I My name gets mispronounced a lot, too, so I understand. I apologize. I should have asked before we brought you on. Uh, we, were, we were talking about the Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues game last night. I know he's not in Vegas anymore. 
but I saw you tweeting about it, Ben. What would it have been like to see Marc-Andre Fleury in a goalie fight? Because he was ready to go last night against Bennington. It would have been so incredible. Oh, my gosh. I would have loved it so much, especially because, you know, in the back of Fleury's head, I think that's like something he's always secretly wanted. He has accomplished so much in his career. Uh, obviously, one of the best goalies of all time. But I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I asked him because there had been like a goalie fight in like a minor league game and his face like lit up where he's like, yeah, I think everyone loves a good goalie fighter to talk about a good goalie fight. <laughs> so we do think like in the back of his head, this is like a box that he has not checked. And he had kind of the perfect opportunity to do it yesterday. I was texting with someone about this last night. Uh, in my head, I know that the officials made the right decision to separate him and Biddington. In my heart, they were absolutely wrong to do that. Uh, it was yeah. so sad that we couldn't see what that would have been like. I think Flurry, I would not have bet against him because I think he's been thinking about doing that for a very long time. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the things we were like, why? Why would the linesman do this to us? And obviously we know when you use your head for a second, you think, oh, yeah, concussions, brain injury. You know, we're trying to protect players, not hurt them. But yeah, in my heart, I was like, why? Why, <laughs> why did this happen? So Right. And obviously, <laughs> like for Flurry, probably not the, the smartest with the Wild very close to the playoffs. Oh. Maybe not the time to accidentally, you know, break his blocker hand on a punch or anything. But it would have been so cool and so fun. And I still would have really liked to see it happen. And to think of all the people who were not watching that game last night because it was a Wednesday night late game between the Minnesota Wild and St. Louis Blues. It's not exactly the game everyone's tuning into. But uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have a new goalie in town, so we'll stop talking about Flurry and, and move on to Jonathan Quick here, Ben. He's won four straight since joining the Golden Knights. He was having a tough season in L.A. What do you think has kind of led to this turnaround for, for Quick and Vegas? Yeah, so I think the biggest thing, of course, is just how the Knights play defensively they've been so good this year uh, under coach Bruce Cassidy he's changed up their their system they're now in more of a zone scheme and it's really worked for whoever they've put behind the net they've started a franchise record five goalies this year all five goalies uh, have wins including Yuri Patera the other day in his NHL debut against the St. Louis Blues uh, two games ago so I think that's the the first thing is that you know the Knights don't ask their goalies whoever uh, they are, even if they are potentially a future Hall of Famer like Jonathan Quick, to make too many difficult saves a night. Yes, there's probably going to be at least a couple moments each game where a breakdown happens or a mistake happens and they need to come up, you know, with a really, really good save. But they're not asking their goalies usually to do that five times a game, ten times a game. They're not constantly asking those guys to bail them out. So I think that really has helped Jonathan Quick. I think it's kind of helped him adapt his style a little bit where he's obviously such an athletic freak. He's been so, so good for so many years, but I think because of the way the Knights play, he's been able to kind of calm the way that he plays down a little bit. He's been a little bit deeper in his crease. So I think that's helped. And I'm sure part of it's just, you know, maybe a fresh start was good for him. And now he's with the team that he can build some confidence with where he's four and oh, those games have come against really good teams. He shut out the Carolina hurricanes. So there's a lot of reasons for him to uh, feel good about his game right now. It really has worked uh, seamlessly since he came over, technically from the Columbus Blue Jackets, but obviously yes. really from the Los Angeles Kings. 
Yeah, and you know, not for nothing on on the most recent road trip that the Vegas Golden Knights were on. Forgive me, I don't have the exact game where this happened, but he uh, he matched John Van Beesbrook for second most wins by an American goalie with 374. So right now, only Ryan Miller has more wins by an American goalie in this league, and that's at 391. So all of a sudden, you know, I think the conversation around Jonathan Quick this season was like the LA Kings need to do something with their goaltending because Jonathan Quick looks terrible but I also think it made it so easy to overlook like where he stands in in like American goalie history I guess you could say because he's he's second he's only got one more guy to try to catch and that's Ryan Miller yeah he tied Van Breesbrook last game out against the Philadelphia Flyers so obviously he's projected to start tonight he could break that and move into second place all by himself against the Calgary Flames. And yeah, it really has been such a quick turnaround for him where he had such a tough year with the Kings. And now, of course, he's the number one goalie, mainly through injuries. But still, as of right now, it's kind of his job in the net of the team that's in first place in the Western Conference and is holding off the Kings to hold on to that spot and holding on to first place in the Pacific Division, which is going to make a very fascinating choice for Cassidy and his staff as goalies start to get healthy again they have Logan Thompson and Laurent Brassois skating again uh, Aiden Hill who was in charge of the net when quick came over now he's hurt he's not skating so we're not sure when he's going to be back but even integrating those two other goalies back in is going to get really interesting to see how the Knights decide to juggle this because they can't dress all three guys uh, for those games and they each have played really well at times this season Logan Thompson going to the all-star game as a rookie, uh, Laurent Brassois was really, really sharp. His only three starts in the NHL this year. He spent most of this year in the AHL. And now Quick's come in and is 4-0 and since he's uh, started playing with the Knights. So that's going to be, I think, really interesting to see if Jonathan Quick can kind of hold off those two guys to keep the spot that now he's earned in the Knights' crease and whether he can continue to kind of writing this redemption story the rest of the year. So Vegas didn't get Timo Meyer at the trade deadline. Uh, they did get Jonathan Quick, who we just spoke about. Um, but they've also gotten some contributions from other new players, uh, Teddy Bluger, Ivan Barbashev. They both got in the mix in the last game that the Golden Knights won. I mean, how would you describe the kind of impact that guys like Bluger and Barbashev have made on this roster? Yeah, they've been pretty seamless fits. Barbashev's been on the first line with Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marcheseau, and he's already got eight points in nine games. And given them that a dimension that they didn't really have before where he's so good in front of the net, he drives there, he's willing to kind of get tips, deflections. His goal you know, against the Flyers was a deflection goal in front on a Shea Theodore shot. And that's something this team was kind of missing, especially at five-on-five. Five. I mean, so much of the Knights through their history, they've been this great, great rush team where they can absolutely terrorize teams in transition, but especially in the playoffs, we've seen that when they can't rely on their rush game to generate opportunities, when they have to beat teams in zone, they've had a lot of problems with that. And I think Barbashev is a guy that can give them a little added dimension, can do some different things for them. And we've already seen that with how he's kind of fit in really nicely on that first line as the, you know, kind of quote unquote third wheel with Eichel and Marcheseau. And Bluger's been really impressive as well because I think he came in to be a fourth-line center that was going to take a lot of 
you know, defensive zone draws handle a lot of tough matchups. That was something he obviously had to do in Pittsburgh when he was there because Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are taking the bulk of the offensive zone draws for a very good reason. Um, but I think it's been impressive that Bluger's chipped in offensively too. He got his first goal last time out against the Flyers. He's got four points in seven games already with the Knights. He's fit in really well, even though uh, he's even admitted that the transition between systems has taken him even a little bit longer than he expected to wrap his head around. But I mean, Bruce Cassidy has trusted him right away to go take difficult face-offs, play against really good competition on the other side. And I think that's freed up guys like William Carlson and Riley Smith, who previously were handling a lot of those difficult matchups to get more offensive opportunities. And as a result, that line's clicking a little bit more than we had seen in the past before the deadline. So I think both guys have really come in and given this team a list in different ways where, you know, they're obviously not as good of a, a Timo Meyer or even a Patrick Kane, but they fit in really sharp roles for this team that this team kind of needed. And that's allowed, I think, other players around them to elevate their games with them in the picture. We're talking to Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal, teeing up the Flames Vegas Golden Knights game tonight, puck drop at eight, pregame at seven. Uh, ben, the Golden Knights have the NHL's best record since the All Star break, going thirteen two and two in that time. Uh, what has been go- what has been working so well for this team over the last several weeks? Yeah, the huge thing for them is that coming out of the break, uh, besides the fact that players got to, you know, get away, clear their heads a little bit, a bunch of them went to Hawaii, and I'm sure that, you know, helped the vibes a little bit. Uh, they got their defensemen back. Zach Whitecloud was out for a really uh, long time, almost two months. Uh, coming into the break, he was back after the break. Shea Theodore, I think, only played a game or two before the All-Star break and was still kind of working back to full health, and then he was full go after the all-star break. So the Knights got their six defensemen back. And that's really, I think has what allowed this team to shine. Cause all those guys are experienced. They've been in this or this team for several years. They know this system. They know how to play with one another and they kind of give this team a foundation that it can play off of where they're limiting, you know, chances against, which helps all the goaltenders, no matter who's in the net, they're not putting too much pressure on the offensive guys like the forwards. Cause they've dealt with a lot of injuries up there to guys like Mark Stone, William Carrier, uh, lower lineup guys like Nick Waugh and Keegan Colasar are out of the lineup right now. But those guys don't have to feel a ton of pressure to step up and fill that production up front because they know that the defensemen aren't going to give up a lot the other way. So I think that's been really the key point for this team. You've got Alex Petrangelo, who's in the midst of a really good season on the top pair. Theodore, since coming back, has been you know awesome for them. On the second pair with Braden McNabb, Theodore's offense production has been through the roof since he got back. And then, uh, you know, Nick Hague and Zach Whitecloud have been a really solid third pair for this team uh, for years, kind of growing together as a tandem. So I think having all those guys back together, you know, healthy and playing has really allowed this team to gel and find ways to win a lot of nights where they don't always play their best, but they know that those guys are going to kind of hold the fort down, not let the score get out of hand and always give you know their offense the chance to get them back in a game. So one of the things that strikes me maybe the most about this Golden Knights team this year is, I mean, 
we saw they had a pretty big losing streak, five games, when uh, Mark Stone had his back injury. He's obviously still out of the lineup. And, and we've seen the way that this team has kind of crumbled after several injuries mounting. And I mean, last year it was almost egregious at times with so many people getting hurt and being out of the lineup, so much change. Um, but, you know, they had they had a bit of a lull and they bounce back. And I thought that was really notable. You know, they had the ability this year to kind of stop the bleeding for lack of a better word. And I, and I don't think we've seen that the last couple of years, we've kind of seen the golden Knights have their down moments that kind of sink them a little bit. Um, but this year they went down and now they're, you know, have one of the best records in the league at the best record in the league, I should say, since the all-star break. Is that something that you've noticed that that's been different in that resiliency, I guess, with this group? Yeah, I think resiliency has been a big part of this season's story for the Knights, and I think it all kind of comes back to the fact that Cassidy has been able to establish an identity for this group pretty early on, where, like I said, they've got those six defensemen that they can really lean on, and then they've been able to kind of lean on their forward depth all year as well, where even when Stone was in the lineup, you know, they were constantly saying, we want everyone to have a role on this team, we want everyone to contribute, and that even showed in how Cassidy would divide ice time for the different lines, how we would handle, you know, defensive zone starts, uh, offensive zone face-offs, things like that. You know, the fourth line was always starting games for this team, which I think empowered them and gave them a role and gave them something to feel good about. And so even now, I think that's what's really showing up with the Knights where, you know, their top guys aren't always going to produce offensively, you know, Jonathan so Riley Smith, William Carlson are all very good players, but they're not like point-per-game guys that you can count on chipping in every single night. But then they've got other guys to step up and kind of fill that void where you've got you know Chandler Stevenson blossoming into an all-star player this year for the first time, taking even more of an offensive load than he has in the past. Obviously, Jack Eichel's been really good, but the fourth line, like I mentioned, with Teddy Bluger has been contributing even with him jumping in on the team. You get a new guy like Ivan Barbershev who can ship in. William Carrier, before he got hurt, had a career-high 16 goals. So they've been able to kind of develop this formula that they've been working on all year and then have really been able to lean on when things get tough in terms of we'll take care of our own end and then we'll trust that we have enough talented players offensively that someone's going to break through, that it doesn't have to be the top guys every night. It doesn't have to you know, be our defenseman making a play. We have enough guys that if we're patient and if we limit chances against our opportunities will come and we have guys that can take advantage. And like I said, it's been working yeah, throughout these injuries because obviously playing their basically fifth and sixth string goaltenders, if you want to call them that uh, throughout this past road trip, I think would have sunk a lot of teams when you're, you know, no Robin Leonard for the entire year, no Logan Thompson, Aiden Hill, Laurent Brassois, and they still got wins from Quick and Patera, you know, going 4-1 and one on this five-game road trip. They just wrapped up. So I think that's helped them weather a lot of storms, including the recent one that they've had in net. And so I think that's definitely been different than I think how they handled a lot of things last year, where part of it, they didn't have an identity because different guys in different positions were always going out. But they've established a little bit more of what their game needs to be like, I think, here this year, which is something they can lean on even when times get tough or guys get out of the lineup. Sure. Um, how important is Alec Martinez to this team? 
He's very important. He's obviously one of the big leaders on this team. He's leading the NHL uh, in block shots. He had some huge game-saving or game-winning plays throughout the road trip where he had a diving poke check uh, for an overtime winner against the Lightning. He had a diving goal line clearance against the Philadelphia Flyers to keep the Knights ahead in the third period. Uh, He just does so many little things on the ice that help this team win and also, I think, help you know, his teammates kind of get in the fight. I mean, I talked to a lot of guys on the blue line about the fact that, you know, this is a guy who is the, one of the team's oldest skaters at 35 years old. He's already won two Stanley cups. He could feel very comfortable, confident and comfortable with his career already. But the fact that he's still throwing his body on the line every night, you know, diving in front of pucks, I think inspires the rest of his teammates to do the same and give that same level of effort and commitment. So I think he's definitely one of the leaders in that locker room and also obviously leads by example on the ice. And he's kind of, I think, one of those those glue guys that holds the team together that he helps make, you know, the rest of the blue line make sense of how he complements the entire group. And obviously, specifically Alex Petrangelo, letting Petrangelo kind of do his thing roving in the offensive zone because he knows Martinez is going to cover him on the other end. Awesome. Well, great stuff, Ben. Thank you so much for, for joining us on the show and enjoy the game tonight. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. There goes uh, Ben Goats from the last Las Vegas Review Journal. He joined us on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. The Guest Hotline is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take her to delivery at 403-248-3344. Uh, before we had to break one note about the game tonight between the Flames and the Golden Knights, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights Foundation will be donating donating the proceeds from their 5149, which is their version of the 5050, to support the fight against ALS tonight in honor of Flames Assistant General Manager Chris Snow. So just wanted to shout that out. It's a wonderful thing to do uh, from the Golden Knights and their foundation. Any information about that uh, is on the Vegas Golden Knights social media pages and their foundation website. We're going to head to a break, and when we come back, we're going to have our kind of weekly segment with Sean Gentilly, who this week was at the GM's meetings in Palm Beach for the Athletics. So we'll get everything we need to know from those meetings coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right. Hockey Central continues here on Sports at 960. Final segment of the afternoon and we're going to go right back to the atlas pizza guest hotline because we have sean gentilly uh senior national writer at the athletic on the line we got to get this done quick because i know this is a person who just wants to be watching college hoops right now but he's probably in a good mood because maryland won today i know i had fun watching that game because i have no stakes but it was a it was a close one how are you feeling you okay now the first two games sincerely couldn't have gotten better. You have Maryland beating West Virginia. I went to Maryland. I'm from Pittsburgh. So West Virginia is a huge, huge rival of, of Pitt, which was a team that I grew up supporting, right? So that's like okay. two for two. And then immediately after that, Furman beats UVA, mm-hmm. which is a school that I hate because UVA <laughs> was a big ACC rival of Maryland when I was there. So this is like... 
I'm uh, every everything is coming up, Sean, in the first couple hours of the tournament here. I'm thrilled. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. <laughs> we caught you on a good day. <laughs> um, we'll yeah, see. Logo and we'll I see. were talking I got, I got about. Some, I got the, some work I have to do later, so whatever. Oh, that's all right. Uh, Logo and I were talking yeah. about the Virginia upset earlier in the show, and I just—I know this is a hockey show, but it is March Madness, and it was just so funny. Like, what was the guy who inbounded the ball thinking? I mean, there were eight seconds left when he. When he when he touched the ball, right, he gets trapped and freaks out. It's like something that happens to a seventh grader, basically, like in in uh, in, in in rec league hoops or whatever. UVA is uh, when you play the style that they play, just really slow, really like low event grinding defense, whatever. Your margin for error is really low, and you certainly have a dude that you know chucks a half court pass uh, at the first sign of trouble. I like, but like I said. I don't care. I love it. Go Terps. Yes, we love that. Sorry, I lost my voice. I was sick for a oh, couple God. weeks. Oh, God, yeah. So. I know. Well, okay. Yeah. We're good. You just, uh, I'll, I'll just I'll just let her... <laughs> no, no, no. It's okay. It's I okay. Was, uh... I can do this. <laughs> no, 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 Sean. GM's meetings in Palm Beach. What was the biggest takeaway for you? It was boring. It was kind of like it was kind of like a low stakes uh, GM set of GM meetings. Honestly, honestly, as far as these things go, um, all the GMs were on the same page with that. It was very funny to see everybody hit on their talking points because you know those guys are nothing if not on the same page when it comes to that stuff. So they've come out of the uh, out of the conference room in the very expensive, very uh, tastefully appointed resort that they were staying at in Palm beach. And everybody said like, all right, every, well, we're great to have a great to have a set of meetings where we don't really feel like we, there's any huge changes we have to make. Uh, we love our game. Everything's in good shape. And uh, we're in tweet. We're in just, you know, none of these are gotta have it. This is all just things that we'd like to maybe see happen that we're interested in, in exploring more and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, the, the, the big points clearly uh, in the room in terms of discussion, but, between these guys uh, was expanding, potentially expanding the coach's challenge to include friendly fire, high sticks among teammates and puck over the glass and then calling the rule book basically in a way that would uh, prevent, maybe prevent some fights after clean hits, not necessarily using the instigator, but just finding a way to call the game that uh, puts teams on the power play after one of their guys lays a clean hit and then has to ask to fight over it so that was it like as far as you know pressing business was concerned everything else was a little bit more conceptual or a little bit more uh you know housekeeping stuff so you know from a work standpoint it wasn't the most interesting opportunity but also you know could just kind of coast for a couple of days because like i said there was nothing not nothing crazy going on there's something to be said for that the um the fights after clean hits is very interesting to me. And I do have my voice back. For listeners, I was off okay. for a week because I've been sick. And today is the first day where I was like, I can I can talk. I can do this. <laughs> and then thirty minutes and I'm and like, guess oh, what? No. <laughs> you can't. 
you, texting you can't texting cam like can you speak for me and he said no oh man i don't get paid good, enough for that for yeah it's not my job man <laughs> cam <laughs> and also i don't have any questions written down so it's not like he can just hop in the dock and ask all the questions my dock right now just says go terps and gm's meetings <laughs> so I, those are the, those are the two things that have dominated my life over the last <sighs> over the last 36 hours yes i thought so so no one can say that i didn't do the right prep but um the the fighting one's interesting to me because you know this was a stat that you and Mike Russo pulled from GM's meetings of the seven, the 271 fights in the NHL this season. The league felt 89 came after a clean hit. The instigator has been called 21 times. So GMs want to see that or a secondary minor assigned to a player who starts mm-hmm. a fight after a clean hit. And honestly, yeah, that's, if that's the yeah, most I... interesting or pressing thing that came out of these meetings, it's kind of whatever kind of boring and i don't really know like how that's gonna end up being enforced like you know you and i did speak about this before when i was asking you know what's going on what was interesting at gm's meetings and that's one for me where it's like so are you just asking the referees to do their job more yes yes (laughs) like in a nutshell yes so yeah that's them just basically (laughs) saying the refs need to be better in this kind of <laughs> calling this kind of yeah stuff. Or, or that they yeah that that they need to be more mindful of of uh it, Kent Hughes I, I think was was the one who spoke you know most he he made the most sense to me when when he was uh when he spoke about this cuz we we were asking guys understandably you know do you like okay so you're talking about the instigator right like that's that was basically you know the where the conversation led us in in the case of most of these guys and some of them were like well you know i don't like i I didn't really say that like i I don't know if i necessarily want an instigator the important thing this is this is what kent hughes like i said for the the montreal canadians gm uh laid out most clearly is he's just like i don't really i don't really care how they get there the important thing is that they get there right like it doesn't necessarily need to it doesn't necessarily need to be the 17 minute total penalty for, for the instigator thing. Like you can call roughing, you can call, you know, on sportsman like conduct or, or, or whatever. The important thing is that there's a penalty differential by the time it's all said and done. Like that's what, that's what these guys want. And it is like a little bit of a tough needle to thread. Clearly when you have a group of, a group of people in charge of the league who clearly, clearly, clearly don't have, you know, the, there there's a distaste for the for the instigator penalty clearly because mm-hmm. that's like the obvious you know to someone on the outside or or to someone who maybe you know doesn't doesn't have as much skin in the game like me like why don't you just call that it's it seems yeah. like there's a baked in solution to the rule book and these guys clearly don't want you know they don't want to hit they don't want like the nuclear deterrent of the uh of the instigator penalty right so Whatever, sure. whatever ends up happening, th- this sounds like something that, that they could, that they're planning to, you know, m- maybe start focusing on ahead of the playoffs potentially, or is like, a, like the coaches challenge stuff, obviously that there's, there's a, there's a process there with passing with players and getting, getting it approved by BOG, you know, so that's a next season thing. If, if ever, uh, the, the 
clean hit penalty thing seems like something that we could start seeing more of. And they, and there's more than one way to to go about uh, making it happen. So, so, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't the most high stakes set of these things by by all accounts. I wouldn't know because I've I've never <laughs> I've never covered this before. So I, right. I was you know sure. around like a maniac for days. But yeah, there's it 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 is what it is, and you know, they're cyclical. I'm sure next year that there'll be bigger bigger more important things that pop up for the time being you know pretty pretty mid across the board i'd say well so one interesting part that came up during these meetings was the salary cap expectations and there's been this kind of almost game with gary bettman over the last couple months because you know earlier in the season sounded like oh the cap is probably gonna go up you know it looks like we're we're hitting our targets. Our projections are good. Uh, escrow is going to be paid off. The cap could go up about four and a half million. And then, you know, very shortly after he pulls back on that and says, no, actually, we probably won't pay it off yet. So it's only going to be a million increase again this year. Flat, like the cap is going to stay pretty flat. But what he did at this right. GM's meetings and this kind of round of the cat and mouse was almost put the situation in the hands of the brand new NHLPA executive director, Marty sure Walsh, did. who uh, Gary Bettman said is, uh, you know, this is basically his first week. Um, I think Elliot Friedman said it's next week. You can, you know, choose, you know, it's either this week or next week. Doesn't really matter. The brand new <laughs> NHLPA executive director and Bettman essentially said, you know, our current projections are aggressive. There will still be an escrow. Even if we exceed those projections, there's still a possibility, um, you know, that the cap could go up. Um, you know, we're probably still going to have an escrow mm-hmm. balance. And then he basically danced around it to the point of saying, like, if we're going to raise the cap and the escrow hasn't been paid off, then we're going to have to look at raising the escrow rates, which under the CBA extension 2020 is locked in for the last three years of the CBA. So if you're going to raise the cap prematurely, then we're going to have to look at the escrow as well. So he basically just did, he did that on purpose for the players and Marty Walsh say, Hey, if you want the cap to go up, we'll talk. (laughs) Totally. And you know the, the the it's just like anything with these negotiations. You give, you give, and you get, and you make proposals and counter proposals, right? And he's saying, yeah, if if you guys want that four and a half million dollar jump, that's great. But whenever when whenever we're talking CBA next time, like maybe bump 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 up that escrow percentage, right? And good luck with that because there's nothing players hate more than escrow. Like they're there. If I if I had to bet, if I had to put my own money on it. I mean, I'm I'm saying that they're gonna they're gonna say no. This is fine. We'll deal with we'll deal with another another year of, of minimal growth uh, on, under the salary cap and not change the escrow rate because they're they're never gonna accept they're they're never gonna will willingly take take on more escrow like that. It's just the the bane of those guys' existence. The interesting part about the cat discussion, I thought, was that uh, you know, yes initially there was that stretch where it's like, Hey, maybe it's going to go up four and a half million. And then that got walked back really quickly. Right now. I think Gary has found the sweet spot in the way he's talking about the salary cap where he's saying, yeah, it's probably going to be a million or a million and a half uh, next season. But also like our projections are great. We believe that that we're (laughs) we're looking at a situation where we're going to, 
the escrow gap uh, is is only going to be a hundred million as opposed to hundred fifty million, which is what the revised projections look like. So, uh, you think about it where you know you say, yep everything's great we feel like we're completely back from covid which was another thing that he said that he said yesterday mm-hmm. without you know raising those expectations uh for, for the salary cap maybe maybe uh, unrealistically or or, or uh, prematurely so yeah the, ca- the cap discussion <laughs> was interesting and the Batman discussion was interesting overall too like i i think i think he's talking about relevant things that are going to affect the game moving forward the boring part, or the or the or the lower stakes part, or ho- however you want to phrase it, was the stuff that the GMs discussed in terms of rule changes mm-hmm. and, and rule implementations. But you know, the update stuff from Bettman yesterday was all was was all relevant. There were really relevant bits in there for U.S. fans who are dealing with the collapse of the regional sports network model, like on, on the TV side of things. You know, there he did talk about about meaningful, relevant things. They just weren't necessarily you know, big time rule changes or sea changes when, when it comes to how the game is played or called or, uh, you know, structured. So one of the things I saw in your notebook, um, the kind of big wrap up of, of these meetings with Mike Russo, who was there with you in Palm Beach, um, was kind of the discussion about cap circumvention and Bettman essentially scoffed at the notion that yeah, there was great. unfair circumvention of the cap going on in Arizona. What do you think about that, Sean? Like when you see how much the Coyotes are actually like spending versus their cap hit, like where they're at, like, you know, relative to the cap for floor and the cap ceiling versus their actual like cash spend. Like, are you okay with that? Cause technically they're not doing anything wrong by the rule book. I think the league is okay with it. That's the most important thing to keep in mind. And I know like, yes, Bettman, you know, kind of scoffed at it yesterday where he's like, nope, it's, you know, this is, this is how it goes. Uh, players are assets, draft picks are assets and cap space is, is an asset and teams are free to use them, you know, however they see fit. I think generally there's, there's a sense, you know, uh, coming from the league that they would, especially now, right now playing in a 5,000 seat NCAA arena, you know, where revenues are cut, you know, in, in whatever, <laughs> they're a fraction of, of what they were, even in a, even in, you know, a, an undersold arena in, in Glendale, the Coyotes revenues are way, way down. And I don't think the league has any problems with them, you know, limiting those in, in however they see fit because they still have what, four, they're going to have three more seasons or four more seasons on, on top after this. I don't think, mm-hmm. they're, I, I don't think that the league as an entity has any problem whatsoever with it with the coyotes limit limiting their spend i i think and i think you know look at and all you need to do if you doubt that look at what bettman said yesterday like they're co-signing off this they're cool with it and you you can yeah. you know be angry about it and debate it as, as much as you want but you know see where that gets you because because <laughs> the league itself is fine with it clearly uh, we've got a couple more minutes with you. We're talking to Sean Gentilly. He's a national writer at The Athletic. He was at the GM's meetings in Palm Beach. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. One of the other ones I saw, this was a hot topic, I guess, on social media, was just Batman reiterating that the league's playoff format is totally fine. He has no interest in going oh. back to the old 18 conference seatings. He thinks it's fine. Right, he thinks it's perfect. I, People like it. You know, you know who likes it, what? Gary Bettman. Apparently, Kyle Dubas too. 
which yeah, was a little, yeah, I mean, I was, Dubas I, is never going to go out there and say that it sucks that we have to play the Tampa Bay Lightning because no, then people are just going to say, well, no. you should build a better team then. Um, but yeah, Batman so likes this, it. The, Do you like it? Because I'm kind of sick of it. The way this goes, first off, the way this goes generally, like just, just like from a from a formatting standpoint, is like these guys meet in a ballroom at a gazillion dollar resort. And we just sort of hang out and wait for the GMs to filter out whenever their stuff's done, right? And they can maybe escape out a back door. We think that's what they did on day one. Some guys leave. Some guys find find another exit. You know, some guys. I think there's a coordinated effort to maybe leave in a pack, so some, so so not everybody gets swarmed at at the same time. <laughs> I have right? seen so this really happen the at the GMs time. meetings, by oh, the way, at the NHL very draft. Fun. I have watched. I have watched and I know which GMs are very good at either sneaking out or just walking past you and ignoring your existence. <laughs> they just don't care that you're there. I don't think I leave. saw Pat for. I, <laughs> sincerely, don't think I saw Pat for Beak for for once for one second <laughs> over over those three days. So kudos to him. Right. But yeah, uh, Dubis Dubis came out. You know. A, a little late and I, and I, I made it to his scrum, you know, in time, in time to hear him say that like, Nope, we're good. We're, we're good with it. Uh, the divisional model is fine. If it was one for eight, one through eight, you know, there'd be minimal changes uh, and we'd still be, we'd be playing either the Rangers or the, or, or the lightning under this format. So good luck if, if you're playing either, either of those teams basically is what Dubas said And <laughs> the framework for it. And this is clearly something that everybody you know, agreed on and, and the talking point that was agreed upon is that like, look, all these teams are good. One through eight, like the first round is always going to be a difficult matchup. No matter who, no matter who you play, that's what makes the NHL great. And blah, 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 blah. Like that's, that's the, the framework that they kind of landed on for, for the talking point. And I don't disagree on it. I think it's just a matter of, you know, that the matchups are getting stale and, 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 and overcooked. It's a cyclical thing. That's the way it works. This format was put in place to get Sidney Kirby and Alex Ovechkin mm-hmm. facing off in the playoffs every single year. Like that was that's that was just the goal. And it worked. We got great series out of out of Washington and Pittsburgh over the years. You know, mission accomplished there, right? But that doesn't mean that it needs to be in place forever. So I'm okay with, you know, with with a divisional model being in place maybe for for another year or two, but switch it up. Go back to go back to one to eight, and whenever we get tired of that, switch back to the, to the division model. There's no sacred format when it comes to when it comes to NHL formats, right? Or NHL playoff formats. We've we've seen several over over the years, whether it's reseeding, not reseeding, you know, whatever. So I'm ready for something else at some point. I'm not overly. I'm also not overly concerned about it. And the thing to remember, basically. You know, is that is that Gary Bettman likes this, and in and, and he's and he does have sway. Like it's it's a an important thing to remember when it comes to this stuff. You know, that was kind of the implication when he was talking about the playoff format, because it was one of those things like you like, you know, you ask the GMs, you you have certain talking points that you, you expect are going to come up playoff format, whatever. You ask them as they come out, like any any anything about playoff format, and they're like, no, like we didn't really talk about it at all, and that's and that's mm-hmm. what everybody said. And Gary, you know, at the wrap-up discussion, he basically like, you know, yeah, there's a lot of things. People have their preferences. Like, that's that's okay. The implication there on his part was like, well, this is, this is my preference, and this is our preference, and it's not going anywhere. So get right. used to it for, for, for another year or two at least, I would imagine. Uh, final question for you, Sean, because we've got to wrap up here. But there is a... 
we've got a we've got time if you were to have like a seat at the table if let's say you're a general manager let's just say they allow the media people who are gathered in the hotel Bad idea to to Bad say idea. something like what is the one thing like if you had your one moment in life to propose something at a general manager's oh meeting what would it be i think you do need to try to these this is like group think and action right like like you can you can bring up the craziest points to one, but you're going to get shot down quickly because these guys generally all think similarly. So if you actually want to get something, you know, moved and, and, and have like a hobby horse that you, that you want to, that you want to get, you know, pushed, I think you got to be realistic. And something that I heard a, a last week, huh? That's no fun. No, well, okay. But that being said, that okay. being said, in the realm of things that seem like they could actually get traction, if you work on it enough over the years, is I want the is I want the offensive zone to extend to the red line after you gain the blue line. Like I I want I want more zone time, I want less clears, and I want more room for for players to work. And that's one of those things where you know is it is it goofy absolutely but on some but you can also if if you squint you can kind of see you can kind of see it working out because you yeah. you you got to stay realistic more and you, you got to keep your aims low make huh? the game more fun let's make more money let's yeah, get more, more goals. goals open up yep. the offensive zone a little bit that's a good one is that boring get like, rid yeah, of offside sure. review get rid of distinct kicking motion just do it. That's, but that's I don't not, need to see I, that any longer. Well, we'll see about. Well, you know what? That was one of the things that that, that, that someone mentioned kind of offhandedly that there was some discussion about about the kicking motion thing, and Good. it wasn't important. It wasn't. It clearly didn't get enough traction to turn into like a big talking point. But I think that's something. You know, it came up this year. It, it's come up in the past. We'll see what happens with that. But no, these guys are boring, and these meetings are boring. So you need to adjust accordingly. So I'll aim low and like expand the offensive zone one once once you gain it okay i like it thanks sean thanks for coming on go terps you're welcome Haley. thanks for having me go terps no problem probably playing yeah. alabama next round don't that works bring out. up the fact probably that i alabama. had you know a short feud with testudo the turtle from maryland we that's hey, old we news we buried you. the hatchet <laughs> it's in the past it's in the past i think everybody's moved on we don't need to revisit this <laughs> Yeah. Thank okay. Much. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> All right. There goes Sean Gentili, uh, senior national writer at The Athletic, telling us everything we need to know about the GM's meetings in Palm Beach. That is all the time that we have on the show today. Thank you so much for listening. I'm getting texts from Taylor saying I need to hear about your feud with the turtle mascot from the University of Maryland. I just tweeted once that I thought, you know, it was dumb to have a turtle as a mascot. And it turns out Testudo has Twitter and saw it. So anyways, That's story funny. for another day. <laughs> story for another day, everybody. Enjoy the game. Calgary Flames, Vegas Golden Knights puck drop at 8 o'clock pregame here on Sports at 960 at 7. We will see you tomorrow on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan.